Was the Progressive Conservative Party of Canada hijacked by another entity ten years ago? What were the key differences between the Party of Confederation and the Canadian Alliance then led by Stephen Harper? Is there any political vehicle left for reclaiming Canadian sovereignty? With the 10th anniversary of the very last Progressive Conservative Party of Canada's leadership convention having come and gone as of May 31st, we probe that convention and its fallout with Marielena Ripoll, campaign manager for one of the key players in that leadership race. On today's program, the David Orchard campaign, 10 years after the deal. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of June 6th, 2013. I am series host and producer Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. We seek to provide you with access to analysis of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our program is available from the Center's website, globalresearch.ca. We can also now be heard on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.fm. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. On May Day 2013, the police poured tons of tear gas on tens of thousands of workers and youth in different quarters of Istanbul, Turkey, in order to stop them from approaching Taksim Square. The government had decided that this square, the traditional venue for May Day celebrations and home to daily political actions, big and small, was to be shut to demonstrations this year because development work was being done on a massive scale involving huge excavated pits, making it dangerous for crowds. Exactly one month later, on Saturday, June 1st, the masses protesting against the urban plans behind this development work and against the government itself had captured the square and made it the freest part of Istanbul, or rather of Turkey. The police withdrew that afternoon from Taksim Square to abandon the place to the thronging crowds of protesters unfathomably numbering in the hundreds of thousands. The symbolism is striking. This is the biggest defeat for the AKP government and for Prime Minister Tayyip Erdogan ever since the party came to power a decade ago. That's from the article, Turkey, This is a Revolt, Not Yet a Revolution, by Sungur Savran, dated June 5th, 2013, originally posted at Socialist Project. Most fair-minded people would agree that some of Manning's information was beneficial to the public's right to know, revealing details of human rights violations and exposing corrupt government officials around the world. However, the conventional wisdom within U.S. government circles and the mainstream news media is that Manning's wholesale release of secrets to WikiLeaks endangered civilians who collaborated with American forces in Afghanistan and elsewhere and impaired U.S. foreign policy by revealing the frank opinions of American diplomats. Yet while it may be true, although it remains unproven, that some innocents were put at risk and that U.S. diplomacy has been made more complicated, Manning's 
unauthorized release of hundreds of thousands of documents must be weighed against the U.S. government's hiding of hundreds of millions of documents. The simple truth is that the vast majority of those secret documents do not represent any reasonable threat to national security, and to the contrary, the continued overclassification represents a clear and present danger to the republic, both because secrecy undermines democracy and because ignorance makes voters vulnerable to deceptive politicians who in turn can inflict serious harm on the real national security. That's from the article Endangering Democracy, Manning's Secrets versus Overclassification by Robert Perry, posted June 5, 2013, originally appearing in consortiumnews.com. President Obama declared in August 2009, quote, But we must never forget this is not a war of choice. This is a war of necessity. Those who attacked America on 9-11 are plotting to do so again. Never mind that out of the tens of thousands of people the United States and its NATO front have killed in Afghanistan, not one has been identified as having had anything to do with the events of September 11, 2001. The only necessity that drew the United States to Afghanistan was to desire to establish a military presence in this land that is next door to the Caspian Sea region of Central Asia, reportedly containing the second largest proven reserves of petroleum and natural gas in the world, and build oil and gas pipelines from that region running through Afghanistan. And that is from the article, What Our Presidents Tell Our Young People, by William Bloom, posted June 5th, 2013, originally appearing in the Anti-Empire Report. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. With allegations of prime ministerial impropriety currently flying across the floor in the Canadian Parliament, we look back 10 years to a party leadership race that set the stage for the current government. Peter McKay emerged from the 2003 Progressive Conservative leadership race victorious after securing the support of rival candidate David Orchard on the condition he'd not merge the party with the Canadian Alliance, a right-wing U.S. Republican-style party. McKay then broke that promise and, by the end of the year, worked with Canadian Alliance leader Stephen Harper to merge the two parties into the new Conservative Party. Orchard referred to the newly merged party as, quote, conceived in deception and born in betrayal, unquote. I spoke recently to one of Orchard's closest allies who helped provide some background for these momentous historic events and their significance today. We're joined by phone from Saskatoon with uh, Mary Elena Repot. Mary Elena has been a close associate of David Orchard uh, going back uh, a few decades now and uh, was the campaign manager for David Orchard's uh, two bids for the leadership of the Progressive Conservative Party. So, uh, Mary Elena Repot, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Could you uh, give us a, a little bit of background uh, on David Orchard? Uh, exactly who was he, would you say? Well, uh, David Orchard is a Saskatchewan farmer. He's from Borden, Saskatchewan, who uh, uh, is, is a thinker and 
and uh, a little bit of an amateur historian. He's always been like that, very interested in Canadian history, and and uh, so that's that's his kind of starting point. And uh, he became involved uh, in in a, in a big way with the uh, Canadian politics in the mid '80s when he uh, took leadership of a. Uh, on the issue of the free trade agreement with the United States, it was just uh, just about to to, to it yeah. was happening uh, under the Mulroney after right after Mulroney uh, was elected in eighty four, uh, having uh, Mulroney having declared right and left that he was not interested in uh, anything to do with free trade and that 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 thing was over. Canadians voted for it in 1911. I mean, he made very many famous comments about it. One was the free trade was decided on in election in 1911. It affects Canadians' Canadian sovereignty, and we will have none of it, not during the list leadership campaign or any other time. So, I mean, those are the kind of starting point uh, that when... when uh, we became involved, and, and uh, it was uh, David's initiative in writing... Uh, some critical, cautious, cautionary articles about the free trade, you know, the, the plans. And so he always placed this free trade agreement, the plans for it in historical context, unlike a lot of other people who only dealt with the, you know, that this is corporations taking over. We had a historical perspective, and that was what attracted some people. You know, the founding group uh, consisted of a two professors and myself and David's brother and and David we just got together in somebody's kitchen and said no we have to we have to alert Canadians and so we started in the, in here in, in in Saskatchewan and and uh, and it, it grew I mean you know like uh, topsy it, it uh, at one point it you know we were able to do travel across the country with a shoestring budget and have uh, Mass meetings, you know, that that happened in the in the eighty seven, eighty eight, but up to from eighty five on, it was really writing, talking, alerting, uh, going to uh, hearings. We had a under divine uh, uh, government here, the conservative uh, government. We had uh, free trade hearings, and of course, uh, divine was uh, totally in favor of free trade, and these were supposed to be just. Uh, uh, just kind of formalities, you know, about public consultations, and we more or less took them over just by our presence and David's presentation, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, very powerful. Um, uh, the interesting part of this thing was to the, that the Mulroney government's plan, and they had the secret leaked document that really motivated us, uh, uh, which uh, we found, found, you know, discovered, and, and we became alerted to the fact that the strategy was to to do a very low-key campaign by the free, you know, by by Mulroney government, not let people know what was in it, and then to isolate uh, critics, and that was uh, the, the 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 game plan that uh, just sell it as something, uh, you know, innocuous and uh, something to do with free and something to do with trade, and uh, well, this must be good, and uh, and that's how that was their game plan, and it kind of worked quite well because. All the early polls indicated that the majority of Canadians were in favor of free and, and in favor of trade. It's like being in favor of motherhood. And it was up to us to really say, hey, hey, this is, there's more to this than meets the eye. And that's where David played such a significant role in 
in a kind of deep, deep um, historical analysis and also very in-depth analysis of the the free trade agreements when we finally got hold of them, you know, uh, because they were kept away from the public too. Hmm. And so it uh, from then on, it became kind of a, here in Saskatchewan, for instance, we had a big meeting in a public library where David took the free trade agreement, um, and uh, that was, you know, we had gotten our hands on, and uh, went through it almost by, you know, chapter by chapter, with people in the audience having their own copies that we had gotten at that time from the Liberal Senate. You know, they had sent us a whole box full of them because we couldn't get them from the from the Mulroney government. And and people, you know, they were like students sitting in the audience going over it. So everything that David had presented was, you know, you know, was in the, it was not something he was just saying and you know, saying, trust me and 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 paint the free trade agreement in 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 black colors. No, he went through it so that people actually had the content. Eh? Mm-hmm. So that was and that has to do with the, uh, you know David's uh, brief uh, law background because he went to law school and was one of the best students in the class. And then you know only went to, uh, two years. Yeah. But that kind of helped. You know, he has a good analytical mind, and then commitment to understanding how this fits in Canadian history, eh? Canada US relations. Yeah, he he brought a very strong skill set to this struggle, but I'm I'm wondering like was it did it feel like a, a real uh well his name is David, uh, a David and Goliath uh uh battle? In, well, in the beginning it certainly felt like that, but we also felt that we had the truth on our side and uh, we had very quickly we had the experience that if people just knew they would they would become active, you know, and they so the knowledge was very and the kind of the quality of the information that we had through David was such that it motivated people and in, you know alerted them, informed them, and made them more active, you know, made them more capable of challenging the the myths, the myths that you know what we're going to get is free and it's trade. And you know David David's uh, presentation. What it was that it, it's, a, it's an uh, intensive takeover happening, and this is how they are doing it. Mm-hmm. And here you can find the information and the proof in a free trade agreement in itself, and also then in the history of Canada and the various attempts of the Americans to take us over militarily and and, econo- and now economically. So that was the thrust. And uh, my goodness, uh, it was wonderful to see. And I, I was the national organizer, became very soon the national organizer because we went national, you know, after starting here in Saskatchewan, yes. uh, to see uh, people come to these meetings kind of uh, out of curiosity and and sometimes, uh, you know, cynical and, and uh, doubtful about we had anything to offer. And then leaving the, the, the meetings uh, actually very, very alerted and grateful. And, you know that uh, that they that this information was available, and now they have an understanding. And we have a lot of testimonies of people just coming and saying, "This is you know fantastic idea." Never had no idea. Thank you so much for doing this. And you have to go around the country. <laughs> this is what we heard from the first meetings in Saskatchewan. You have to take it on the road. And uh, so that's uh, that's you know of course we had to take it on the road because this thing was not just happening in Saskatchewan. But this is where we we had you know mass meetings like they were mass meetings, and we always aimed for big meetings, not for little uh, little you know church basement meetings with a handful of uh, people. You know like we the aim was to to go big. 
So you were very successful in uh, galvanizing this big populist wave, and it ultimately led to an actual election on that one issue of free trade in yes, 1988. It, it, yeah, this was definitely our contribution that that we we uh, we uh, empowered people, you know, to use that cliche term, that we with knowledge, so that it wasn't just something that they would have to go by instinct or suspicion, but they would actually know, and they would have the the free trade agreement under their arm, you know, that they could carry it and they could point at things. I have to say that we were doing the most down-to-earth kind of uh, uh, work, mass work, you know, across the, across the country, that uh, that people, um, you know, from you know from Saskatchewan went to Winnipeg and then we went to you know uh, all over the place. Edmonton uh, uh, had one of the biggest meetings ever in Edmonton. Uh, and uh, that was in in '88, of course. This is all during the campaign, and uh, that was the the meeting where uh, we were told by various sources afterwards, uh, including people in the media, that that was the critical meeting uh, for Mulroney because he, when we had such a turnout in the in the major convention center that people were kind of lining up on the street for around the block to get into the into the uh, auditorium. Uh, the convention center uh, that Mulroney Mal- uh, that made him call the election. I mean, this is uh, mm. because if we can get that kind of crowd in Alberta, we, you know, then, then that something is something is it's not going Mulroney's way. That best better just cut this off before it can uh, go anywhere further. So at that point, we were still doing campaigning. You know, to, to uh, there was no election. You know, uh, yet, and and so we thought we had plenty of time to kind of um, do the same thing intensely uh, all, all across the country. But then it, of course, Mulroney called the election, and then became we became part of that campaign. Mm, and, and of with course, much less time. Yeah, right? and the conservatives you know. ended up winning that election. Yes, yes. Well, uh, uh, winning, uh, the, they won uh, uh, the seats. But uh, the, this is very important for people to remember that Mulroney constantly in that campaign said it's going to be this election is going to be a referendum on free trade of course we don't have referenda we don't do that but it was clearly understood that you know the popular vote would be against him he would not go for the free you know he would not sign the free trade agreement well of course he didn't mean that for a second he he was he, his percentage was 43% and the two anti free trade parties liberals and ndp uh, uh, you know, beat him. But after that, you know, it didn't mean a thing because you said, well, I got the seat, so that's, that's it. And uh, so the, we, the satisfaction, of course, you have to remember in between there was a very significant moment that uh, the election, you know, election was uh, uh, um, forced on him also um, uh, because uh, the the Liberal Senate uh, uh, that had initially the Liberal Party had initially agreed to you know just more or less go along and and pass the this is a, as a, as a kind of a uh, normal legislation and that was uh, the Senate had declared that it was just going to you know that was going to happen so the prospect was there that there would be no election on the issue at all it would just the free trade agreement would be signed and that's it and we would never know that uh, what the popular opinion was on it we could we, you know we would never find out eh? 
So we our campaign at, at, at then turned into the in activating the Senate and the Liberal Party, and uh, so and that was part of our on the road road trip. David was able to give to people in these big meetings uh, uh, the, the toll free number to the Senate, and uh, so people called took that on as, as a serious task and you know countless people countless would call would call the senate and and we we just instructed people to call their senator but any other senator too and uh, it was a wonderful moment sometime in in July uh of 88 uh, that uh, uh, you know we started to get calls back from the senators liberal senators asking people uh, seriously why are you opposed to it what are you thinking you know who are you what do you do what do you what do your friends think of it uh you know in your community how how do you think it would affect you you know or the, your community and uh, and the country and so i mean it, it, people had long discussions with the uh, senators and uh, so uh, and 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 this is remember after you know people had gotten kind of the their teeth into the free trade agreement that they knew the essence of it so they were able to communicate you know what their concerns were and uh so then you know in 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 uh, sometime in July of that year the senate declared that they would not they would not pass it there would have to be uh, uh, an election mm-hmm. election on it because they would not um, they would uh, uh, you know no no uh ratification without the general election and this was actually our slogan we had used that all all along no ratification without the general election they took it on so this is the you know the power of the senate i guess first time in history done something like that uh, uh, it has that capacity and that's why we had to think about that today when we everybody's dissing the senate and wanting to get rid of it and Indeed. without thought you know so to, to us it was a heroic moment for them, but it was also something that came from us. Hmm. It came; they responded to us. We informed them. They had the capacity to take in information, and uh, so it, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a something that will stay with me and all of us who were part of that, who understand it. It stay with us forever. That this is the this can happen. Hmm. You know, it's 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 not going to happen with the Mulroney Senate. You know, he's he's put fifty seven senators there who are all. Patsies, uh, every one of them, mm. and, but it it can it can happen with a functioning Senate, and, and that Senate was functioning, and it functioned for the Canadian people. Well, yeah, but um, in spite of uh, the moves by the Senate and this populist wave and uh, over you know support from the Canadian public, uh, your basically or sort of lack of support for free trade from the Canadian public, the Conservatives still managed to win. Uh, oh attributable, I suppose, at least in part, to liberal NDP uh, splitting the anti-free trade vote. Yes, yes. Well, that's, that leads right into our system that it's... But if, if you go with the... It's a referendum of free trade. Mm-hmm. And then you can see the, you know, you know the, the, so Brian Mulroney is not just a liar about free trade, but he's a li- double liar because he, he's, he, he, vote, he, he, he absolutely declared himself to, to, you know, that this is going to be a, a referendum, that uh, he's going to pay attention to the popular vote. Mm-hmm. So our system, you know, allows that kind of instant corruption, because we had the first-past-post makes makes uh, the winners think that they are kings, and this is, of course, what's happening with uh, with uh, Harper. You know, he's the king, and, and uh, king of the castle. So that's, that's... But nevertheless, you know, it... 
you had to take the victory in this situation or the or the or the the deep knowledge that comes out of this uh, which is that that uh, people can can be victorious even if it doesn't you know we don't win the battle could I maybe just get you first of all to just comment on on why it was that David chose to pursue that same PC party to uh, become you know to to champion his uh, you know vision of uh, well, well, the, the, Canada. Well, the obvious thing of that was, I mean, the, the opportunity was came suddenly was there. I mean, there was something to look at, and and look at in a in a new way when it was the defeat of the uh, the progressive conservatives, uh, and uh, they were left with the two seats, uh, and uh, you know it was kind of the punishment for everything. That, that was in done. 1993. Yes, and uh, uh, that was. Um, uh, you know, our system also is very weird because, of course, they got many more. I mean, they in a different system they would have gotten many more votes, uh, many more seats. I mean, the two two seats was just part of the anomaly that we have. But nevertheless, suddenly there was no party, and uh, and then there was Sharay uh, uh, was the party leader, and he was would become a liberal leader in 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 Quebec, and when he. Um, Took off eventually after after a lot of pressure and, and demands in the, on him. Uh, there was nothing there. There was uh, the leadership. There was going to be a leadership race, and uh, well, uh, you know, it, it became like in this, in, we're looking at the Progressive Conservative Party, uh, not just as a Maroni party, but historically it has been a pro-Canadian party. It has all kinds of progressive elements in it. It is progressive, you know, and at the time progressive conservative. Although the Mulroney era kind of just made a mockery out of that, so David's uh, you know plan was to first of all bring the issue of free trade and, and Canadian sovereignty in general into the into the national arena through this political vehicle, and also to take back the party you know make it Canadian again, and and the sovereignty was would be the core of it, and then go back to the the true. Uh, progressive conservative policies are being opposed to free trade because you know everybody, all the leadership candidates in nineteen in in, in eighty eighty three, had declared themselves uh, you know uh, uh, to be against free trade under any circumstances except for John Crosby who was a globalizer and free trader and proud of it but everybody else and there was about eight of them think yeah one after another no no never ever so i mean okay so david was in uh, in the in the in the line uh, you know that that kind of thinking go back to that go back to the uh, the what the progressive conservative party was before Mulroney. so it was really uh take the party back uh bring the issues of uh, canadian sovereignty free trade agreement into the into the public political arena so people have you know so so there's, it's a consciousness raising, you know, like con- raise the national consciousness through this vehicle. And David did a lot of consultation. It was a lot of consultation with all kinds of people, including our membership and supporters and and politicians of uh, from the NDP and and act, you know uh, liberals and and all kinds of contacts that we've had had developed up to that point. And uh, so the consultation went on for months, and then then the, David made a decision that this is and got a lot of encouragement uh, uh, to do that, and 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 uh, so that was the step taken to, bec- uh, you know, become uh, partisan, the political partisans, 
and leave behind the nonpartisan activity for time for the time being. I mean, we didn't know where it was going to end, but we certainly had the feeling right away that we had the capacity to mobilize a significant campaign, that we had by that time gotten, we knew that we had the, the grassroots support, we had support from all kinds of quarters and all walks of life, and there was a you know strong sense of uh, people wanting Canada to be a sovereign country, independent country. And, and also David had been, uh, up to that point, also one of the key spokesperson for a anti-war position, uh, so he had also become a spokesperson for any against any uh, unjust illegal wars, uh, you know, and and so he has that that kind of constituency as well. So he had, a, and as an environmental environmentalist from way back, and an organic farmer, he had that constituency too. People concerned about health and environment. So he had a large constituency to draw from, and and we did that. We 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 pulled together in a very short time, a few months, uh, from the time he declared himself on uh, in June, uh, 20, June 29th, 98, uh, declared himself after. This was yeah. four months of consultation. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcast out of Winnipeg on campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM and on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.fm. We are also podcast on the website, globalresearch.ca. In what follows, Mary Elena Ripo and I reflect on David's quest for the PC leadership crown. Notwithstanding the history of the party, Mulrooney, you know, the people who were in the party, I mean, they, they didn't they come to embrace the, uh, the, the Mulrooney vision, you know, saying like, you know, times change and, and so on and so forth. Joe Clark, for example, uh, was opposed to the free trade agreement, but he, he came on, bo- on board, as did much of the uh, existing membership, no? Yeah, well, also they chased away a lot of people. You know, when we were active in the PC party, a lot of uh, former PCers came back. And, and these were, I would, some of them you can describe as red Tories. You know, there's a, there's a phenomenon in Canadian political history of the red Tories, who are progressive conservatives, emphasis on progressive and there's a pile of them. They they kind of feel, you know, uh, they were felt very alienated from uh, from the Mulroney uh, era and with the lies and distortions and falsifications and 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 com- committing us to a terrible uh, you know takeover agreement by the United States. So uh, people came back. People who, you know who had long histories with the Progressive Conservative Party came back to support David. Because they recognized in him a, a, a red Tory, and and what essentially David is, you know, is a progressive conservative uh, red Tory, and uh, and uh, so so that that's you know that constituency was there as well as well as as well as we got people who've never been active in political any kind of political parties, which is not you know it's not some, something very difficult to to be because most people are you know we have a very small low participation in political parties. So there's a huge constituency out there who have never been involved that way. You mm-hmm. know, so, so, but they joined. I mean, some of them kicking and screaming because they don't, oh, that's a crazy idea. You can't do that. You can't, you know, you know you're, give, you're caving in to Mulroney or something. People have all kinds of reactions. But when they thought about it, then, and, and David offered them a lot of thinking material, you know, they say, okay, it makes sense. 
it makes sense. Why shouldn't we? Why should we just kind of be outside when we can be inside? Okay. And 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 take on those very issues in a in a much broader way and in, in a much public way and and so 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 we got a lot of support that way and and enough to in the, you know David got twenty five percent of the vote in the, in the final final ballot you know for mm-hmm. Clark won um, it was the third ballot just a minute now yeah it was the final ballot anyway the it's, second ballot yeah and uh, so. So that was, you know, and we started with 16% in the first ballot and then went to 25%. That's good enough, you know, good enough for first effort. <laughs> but David didn't walk away after Clark won. No, and this is this is a very important thing, too, because Clark famously called David a tourist. Well, this particular tourist actually became a citizen of the country. I mean, he stayed and stayed and... Uh, and 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 after and his supporters stayed became very active in the in, in writings. Did they and, uh, influence the direction of the party in any oh, way? Oh yes, really. Because in, the, in various ways, in in uh, policy, policy conventions, we had uh, succeeded in in uh, uh, demanding labeling on on uh, genetically modified products. Uh, there were all kinds of progressive things that we were able to do. Uh, not alone, I mean, but, but by offering leadership and being kind of the vocal, articulate people in policy conventions and elsewhere, uh, we were able to sway other people who didn't know enough, you know, or didn't know as much. So we had successes in, in various ways, including, you know, uh, many of our people became active in writings and, and just did the, the grunt work, and, and uh, then we asked to take positions of leadership. And so that that kind of a uh, you know by so that in the next uh, next uh, leadership race in 2003 we had a number of uh, people on the national council of the presidents, and uh, of course after the incredible convention in 2003 with all the the pluses and then the minuses, but we uh, uh, had many more people who wanted to be active. You know, so there was going to be a real revival in the Progressive Conservative Party under McKay's leadership with David Orta playing a significant role. Let's talk about that campaign for a oh, moment. Oh, boy. Ah. <laughs> well, what were the, would you say, were the main obstacles that uh, the orchard, the orchardistas is the term I recall, uh, that they faced? Yeah, yeah, they, they, they tried to make us into Sandinistas, so that was their uh, kind of, because we're left-wing socialist, the guerrilla radicals or something nonsensical like that. The obstacles were in every way because uh, there were people, of course, uh, uh, in particular, establishment types in the party, uh, in the Senate, and, and uh, wherever they were, you know, the, the back room boys and, and the consultants and the various operators who did not want uh, us in the party and uh, uh, didn't want David to have a significant role. So there was a lot of sabotage from the central office, you know, organizing efforts in the writings and, and, and getting delegates in and getting people involved and so that, that was uh, the nitty gritty of that was really that was an obstacle course on every level, and uh, the uh, the thing that we had on our side was that we had a lot of people interested and involved, and and that was a very satisfying. You know, we felt that we were going to be victorious regardless because we are going to overcome these obstacles, and uh, uh, and, and and it was an obstacle course. To, you know. Uh, f- uh, they would uh, do all kinds of things, uh, absolutely mischief of organizing, you know, uh, organizing meetings that didn't uh, happen, or we would, our people would go to a delegate selection meeting that didn't, you know, and, and the address was a pawn shop in, in, in 
Regina. So people stood at the street corner waiting for something, you know, and nobody came. So that there was a kind of planned uh, 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 confusion. So you're saying by people who really wanted us to stay out, and I think these people were people who wanted the party to be taken over. They were they were preparing for the writings to be. Uh, so empty that uh, the Canadian uh, Alliance, Reform Alliance, whatever, could just walk in and take them over. So they had to keep us out because we were the only ones really growing the party membership, mm-hmm. and and we were growing it with uh, with people who were capable, interested, you know, motivated, uh, and uh, willing to do work. You know, willing to do work in campaigns and willing to work in the work in the writings and. You know, so the tour- these are the tourists <laughs> yeah. these are, Just, you know that were actually staying and, and and there were other people holding them holding them back, trying to keep the doors closed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and famously, you know... In, in so basically, I just want to like, yep. recount, because a lot of people aren't, don't necessarily know how these parties work, yes. but uh, this was a delegated convention, this which means that the membership, people who belong to the party, get to vote for the people they want to go to Toronto yes. to select the leader. So it's, people don't have, aren't able to directly select the leader. They have to choose people to vote on their behalf. Yeah, they choose the leader on the ground level. They... they, they 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 give uh, and then the delegates are are uh, you know they are they belong to the that leader leadership campaign mm-hmm. and it was proportionate so that if if you got ten uh, percent of the uh, you know uh, vote in a, in a, in a, in a riding you got uh, that many points you know that many delegates you know accordingly so that it was it was quite fair that way and and so we we you know fought fought in every riding to get. As many delegates in for David Orchard, and the, and the first vote would would go to. Uh, I mean, it was automatic, so nobody could uh, pretend to be Orchard supporter and then go and vote for something else. The the people that we had as delegates were Orchard supporters. Uh, to the, nobody could they could not falsify anything, you know. So mm-hmm. when they committed themselves to Orchard, they 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 came to the, the convention and acted accordingly. Okay? So that 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 was the method used and so that's you know in the, in the we we had we went into the convention with 25 percent of, mm-hmm. of delegates uh which was pretty good we were the second yeah. after McCain. And, and i take it from what you were saying earlier about the the pawn shop uh voting headquarters that uh the people who were like who were identified as orchard supporters uh were misdirected by the establishment who had been you know yeah. orchard and the, supporters were, were, this were the local local uh local types uh who were very close to i think close to alliance already then and they were they were there to do the dirty work to keep us out to, to, so that the, so that the party wouldn't have anybody in these ridings, eh? and so uh, because with, uh, nobody else was lining up to get into the uh, Progressive Conservative Party, we we were we were going in into uh, into empty empty ridings in many cases, and when when some of the uh, the uh, you know media people and some of the uh, the party people would say that the orchard people that were taking over, well. There was not much to take over. It was the door was open, mm. and it was, we walk in and we said, "Okay, we're here. What what needs to be done?" Okay. Yeah, and Orchard had the second largest group of delegates. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, of all the delegates that That's were at right. the convention. That's right, and that uh, was convention. really freaky. Uh, freaked out the 
power structure in every way, and those are the media commentators who, who were constantly bad-mouthing David. And I think that one of the things that people tend to forget is that David didn't want a delegated convention in the first place, right? Well, we, we were, you know, the, we had the, the, first, the first convention, or the 98, it was the direct vote uh, from the ridings, you know, so that was uh, everybody could vote. Everybody who could make it to these uh, <laughs> these uh, polls, uh, you know, uh, uh, could vote. So there was many more people could participate. So yes, the delegated thing was uh, you know you fight you fight in every riding for the for the uh, to be a delegate to have delegates, and so that was much more time-consuming, and in every way it was more and more difficult, but they had kind of maybe hoped that would be fewer of us, because you still, we also had to raise a lot of money to get people to go as delegates. It's not, it's not cheap to, to, to be part of a delegated convention. So uh, finances is a, another obstacle that the Orchard Camp uh, faced. Oh, yeah, I mean, and, and that's right, and then you can say, well, let's, let's, let's pauperize them, let's make sure that they can't come in, even if they get people interested that they can't send delegates. But we got the money. We got people, you know, from people who couldn't uh, wouldn't, uh, couldn't go themselves, and but wanted to be part of it. Then they would pay for somebody else to go, and, and uh, you know that's so delegate fees and traveling fees, and so that was an incredible amount of fundraising that we had to do, and and the money kept pouring in. You know, uh, people believed in it, and there was there was so that was it was very satisfying because we knew we're on the right track, and we are connecting with people. That for, for uh, who are interested in or want, want to have some deep change, and and the change in the direction of uh, supporting Canadian Canada, Canadian sovereignty, you know, as as a main main thrust, plus the environmental policies that David was so known for, you know. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot and anti-war policies. So we we you know we were feeling that we had the people and we could have had them for a long time. And we you know I I, I foresaw. I foresee backwards now that easily David, David could have easily been the next leader after McKay, mm. and and because we had the only we were the only ones with growth potential from the population, the, uh, McKay had no particular appeal and, and, and <laughs> has less appeal now, and and uh, David had the appeal and and uh, the, the connections, and you know at, at that at the time when we had about fifty thousand people on our our database. Mm-hmm. So that's almost like a party itself. Do you, because um, I, I seem to recall at the time uh, that uh, there, there were concerns, you know, you know, whispers about infiltration or, or anything like that, you know, whether it's from other campaigns or, or even higher ups. Uh, do, do you have any, I don't know, is that something you feel you can comment on at all? Well, what kind of infiltration into, into... Well, I mean, anything, like, even... Because we're, we're talking about, like, what David's talking about is, is a populist platform, and yet there are the, the entrenched interests, not only within the PC party, but within the Canadian establishment that would seek to sabotage David. I, well, I don't know. I think, like, I think the sabotage occurred in the ways that I've described, in the, you know, by the, the party agents being the agents, uh, you know, that trying to, trying to uh, cause so much trouble and mischief... And and uh, you know keep doing it after after the convention was over, for instance, and after McKay almost instantaneously was seduced or willingly got uh, you know uh, got uh, involved in in, in 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 betraying the party. I mean, not just David Orchard, but uh, betray, destroying the party. Uh, we we also had the, you know they sabotaged us, and that was the establishment in the party and whoever their friends are, including Mulroney of holding back David's money, 
you know, there was a big issue, lasted for a couple of years, of not getting the funds back that people have donated, because they donated it through the party, and it was sitting there, and it was, uh, you know, $70,000, maybe maybe more, I forgot exactly how much, but we had an endless struggle to get that. And that, of course, you know, created a lot of problems, because uh, post-convention, fundraising is much harder. So we, we almost, we had to fundraise that money that was sitting there, or borrow it, or do all kinds of tricks to get it. So it, that was really mm. an attempt to handicap uh, David politically and how, how all our efforts, see, and, and tie our hands so that they could go ahead with the merger, you know, and, uh, without David obstructing them. And of course, uh, you know, we fought the, the, yeah. the so-called well, merger. Well, let's just uh, review, like, uh, May 31st, 2003, mm-hmm. and the, the decision, because uh, David Orchard, he had placed, he, he had the second largest uh, delegate block, but uh, two of the lower level uh, uh, leadership candidates, Jim Prentice and Scott Bryson, combined their votes and leapfrogged ahead of him. And David chose to go with Peter McKay. Yes. Now, why did they he he go with that candidate and well, the, not the, the other the, ones? Well, the alternative was Prentice, and Prentice had been a merger candidate absolutely outspokenly. Uh, at that time, uh, McKay had been saying. I am not the merger candidate. I am not the merger candidate. So he had, you know, that was the one one important thing. Prentice was not in the House of Commons. So he, you know, as an unknown entity, really, in terms of who, what kind of baggage he would have brought with him. But, but to us, it was clear that he was for merger. He had, he had in, in essence, agreed to David's conditions, too. Uh, you know, uh, he would have done, so his betrayal would have maybe taken a different form. But he was committed you know, committed to uh, to uh, cooperation uh, with the uh, you know with, with the Reform Alliance people. So anyway, so that really wouldn't didn't leave as much of a choice. You know, uh, and uh, if if Bryson would have been the second, that would have been different because I think there would be much more. We had to give thought to the possibility that Bryson who was not a merger, in, interested in the merger, or wasn't a support, actively supporting the merger, although he voted for it. I mean, he, he's another shady character, to my mind, because he he uh, he became, uh, he voted for the takeover, and then he joined the Liberal Party. Yeah, so within days. Kind of but at, at the time days. of the convention, he would have been a better, he would have been a choice, and that would have been very interesting to see, uh, you know, um, what they would have done with him. Yeah, that would have been completely different history, probably. Yeah, for or different kind of, he might have caved in, I don't know, he would have, uh, uh, they would have targeted him in a different way, got into him. They certainly got to McKay instantaneously. I don't think he necessarily intended, or he said it various ways, he didn't think it was going to happen so fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what he said, He, you know, in in the, in the book by Bob Plamondon, which is a very, very interesting book to read, uh, called Full Circle. And that deals with that whole convention and uh, merger, so-called, and, and ratification, and so on. And it kind of reveals, you know, Mul- uh, 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 McKay as kind of uh, uh, a little bit uh, stunned that it happened. It happened so fast. Of course, Harper and others wanted it to go. They had been gunning for the Progressive uh, PC Party for a long time. And they had a real hatred for Clark and David Orchard. I mean, total hatred. And that was revealed in Harper's speeches where he would, 
you know, uh, mentioned the name of David Orchard, you know, countless times. It was like that was the target. Eh? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so anyway, so the Mackay really was became the only choice because we we had no capacity to go beyond the twenty five, maybe maybe twenty five percent. We could not challenge him, you know. So it became uh, Apprentice or Mackay, and. Uh, and for long, for a while it looked, you know, okay, we got we got something good. I mean, he agreed to all this, you know, merger. That's very important, and the review of the free trade agreement, very important, and the other, you know, and some changes in the in the headquarters, very important because we've had, particularly the uh, the national um, uh, the head, you know, head of the party there. Uh, uh, National Director uh, Scrimger, David Scrimger, is obstructing us at every point, uh, creating, he, he was the active ingredient in, in making it very difficult for us to mobilize in the writings and to mob- get delegates or even get annual general meetings. Uh, so so that's, that's one of the demands for us to changes, and also we wanted to have some of our David's people there. And remember, at this time, too, I had been elected as a, uh, I, I was the first only, uh, first and only uh, openly Orchard member of the uh, the National uh, Executive Board, the Management Committee. So I was inside all of this time, uh, you know, uh, fighting uh, against the takeover. And uh, in, in, in from my perspective, uh, it's very significant that the, the Management Committee was completely lied to by McKay. Uh, they didn't know; they were kept in the dark. Everybody was kept in the dark. All the people knew, heard rumors that something was going on. So, uh, but in the, to us, Mackay uh, famously mm-hmm. declared when he was asked, "What, what is this thing about? We, we've heard that you're having talks with Harper." He said, "No, no. The only kind of talk I've had with Stephen Harper is to talk to him about his son's hockey game." Mm-hmm. So he actually said that to us in a straight face while they were having, you know, high-powered meetings already, and. Uh, all summer, and this all summer, you know, he started to be actively engaged in that negotiations and meetings with Harper in June. In you know, like a month, a month before the ink was dried on their agreement, right? What's that? Before the ink dried on their agreement. Yeah, well, you could say that. You could yeah. say that. So that, and then uh, Mulroney was there, like a dirty shirt, totally involved in that. And then, of course, uh, Belinda Stronach was one of that when they were organizers of uh, financiers, whatever, of this whole effort, too. So she, and then eventually she left for the Liberal Party. So, so what I think what, what I'm hearing from you here is that, because uh, you, you mentioned uh, Bob Plumondon's book. I, yes. I think he mentioned that there was a lot of pressure from the financial community, uh, you know, pr- trying to push them into some sort of a, uh, push the parties you know, into some sort of, like either go ahead with this merger or you don't count on funding from us. But, I, it seems to me that uh, what you're pointing to is McKay acting beyond the democratic apparatus of the party. Oh, totally, totally. There was no the democratic uh, apparatus was absolutely uh, overridden to the point that when there was ratification. I mean, I referred to it at the time when the, this whole deal as a, uh, as a as a coup d'état, you know, that and uh, and and uh, when David spoke about it. Uh, uh, you know, as soon as we found out, uh, I mean, it became public in September. You know, uh, you know, uh, he and and it uh, he referred to it as an abomination, uh, a conceived in deception and born in betrayal, which is which should be the, you know, plastered all over the place. This is what this 
this so-called conservative party is all about. But it was interesting when uh, one of the independent, you know, progressive conservative uh, senators, Lowell Murray, uh, described. Um, he was he stayed as a progressive conservative. He was a staunch critic of the of this plan, and uh, and he said uh, in the Senate, the party's constitution was twisted and bent out of shape to achieve the purpose of the proponents. For them, the end justifies the means. And then he further he said. It was a coup similar to what we have seen in some countries where the constitution is suspended and a new order ratified in a quick plebiscite. This was the party of confederation, the party of MacDonald and Cartier. Thus, I mean, thus was the party of confederation, the party of MacDonald and Cartier extinguished. So he, you know, refers to that mode of completely, uh, you know, changing the constitution, uh, cooking up uh, schemes by ratifying things, not allowing any participation from below, uh, including the National President's Council, not allowing uh, a motion by me in the the executive committee. I asked for nullification on the basis of uh, what the party's, party's constitution, what the party was committed to which was to, to be a progressive conservative party, and uh, were not allowed, were not allowed. Uh, and so basically there was no way of, uh, of, of uh, the party membership to respond. Uh, and so then, and then they, you know, with a concocted process, they were able to get 90% of, uh, in agreement. Well, very easy, because also, meanwhile, the Harper's party, I mean, McKay had made it possible for alliance members to take a membership in a progressive conservative party. So they flooded our party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they could come into, you know, my riding. They came and uh, suddenly there was a whole bunch of new people coming to, to vote. And they voted uh, voted themselves in as delegates, and we didn't get any because they changed the rules so that the 50, you know, 50 plus one takes, you know, they, uh, takes everything, you know. So everything was done in a kind of like a machine came in, and I, to me, it has a CIA flavor. <laughs> but oh, maybe yeah. local operators mm. that you can do anything, and uh, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't stop us. And David, David, and a group of other uh, PCers launched the lawsuit that you know stall it. And there was a second lawsuit, you know, launched also by Sinclair Stevens against the. Uh, Jean-Pierre Kingsley, who uh, participated in this. The uh, chief election officer. He, what, yes. What yes. became of those lawsuits? Uh, well, we lost. Uh, mm. We lost because uh, uh, um, it, it, was, it was impossible to, to you know, the, the takeover has taken, the so-called merger had taken place already, and there was already a party in fully functioning and going to an election. So I think the judge was very uh, loath to do anything to, you know, I think we got patted in the back of a certain issue, part of the part of the issues, but we we couldn't stop we couldn't stop and nullify the merger. You know, the key argument in, in the court case was that if they want, if some people want to leave the party and join the, the alliance, let them do so, but they can't take the progressive conservative name. They can't take its assets. It has they had to be left with the people who want to stay. You know, who are who are party members who are. And uh, who have a uh, legal grounds uh, who, to whom the party belongs, and Stevens Sinclair Stevens case uh, had to do with uh, the that how could the uh, the, the chief uh, electoral officer allow this to happen? He had a special meeting, allowed a meeting on Sunday, 
for the merger to take place officially, mm-hmm. and to pre- and, and that was to, in, in our opinion, everybody's opinion, to prevent an injunction that was going to take place on Monday. So uh, Kingsley was is very complicit in 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 this, and it would be very interesting. You see, the whole thing has been un, mm-hmm. unexplored. It's been kind of a just a or, or a fact that happened. So that's that's it, and it's interesting. Interesting, but. The, but there hasn't been a detective story that needs to be done, you know, along the lines that I'm kind of indicating here. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, a good uh, in, investigative reporter could uh, really find out all the everybody who was pulling strings. But I'm sure uh, there's absolutely definite that the corporate people who are the who were the donors uh, and who were the influence uh, would be opposed to somebody like uh, David mm-hmm. uh, having any kind of saying anything, you know. Uh, uh, because of uh, the free trade agreement, because of uh, Canadian sovereignty, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Eh? David Maybe Orchard is no longer involved in this uh, no longer progressive conservative party. Where is there for the, uh, now 10 years later, uh, where is there for the uh, Orchard's campaign for Canada to go? In the, in the, in the, in the, well, it's, it's, uh, you don't have a party at the present time. Uh, we have been advocating uh, electoral coalition uh, in the strategic electoral coalition between liberals and NDP, and uh, uh, believe that you know, in order to defeat Harper, well, then we also have to do something to chastise the parties because they have they are malfunctioning and they are not re- representing us, particularly in the issues of war and or the various wars that Canada is involved in, and, and uh, both the NDP and the, and the Liberals have been uh, running after the uh, the cons, saying, me too, me too, let's bomb Libya, let's let's go after Syria, let's do this to Iran. They have not uh, held back. So, I mean, uh, although I would like to, <laughs> we, we would like to see uh, Harper down, taken down completely. Well, we have a, a task with the NDP and... and uh, and the liberals on many, many counts, but the, the war is the, the really striking on the sovereignty as well, because they're very weak. They have, you know, made peace with the free, so-called free trade without understanding it. And, and uh, they need to be educated and self-educated, but also educated by the masses of people who know better. I mean, uh, most Canadians are more anti-war, are more pro-sovereignty than any of their representatives in the House of Commons. And that's that's a that's a there's a real gulf there. Thank okay. you, Mary Elena. Okay, bye. That was Mary Elena Ripoll, longtime ally and campaign manager for David Orchard, speaking on Orchard's campaign for Canada and the story of the 2003 Progressive Conservative Party leadership campaign and its aftermath. For more background on Orchard's issues and the leadership bid, or to order a copy of Orchard's book. The Fight for Canada, Four Centuries of Resistance to American Expansionism, visit his website, www.davidorchard.com. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour. You can hear our programs every week on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partnering radio stations across the country. We are broadcast on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.fm. You can also download each episode from the website globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I am series host and producer Michael Welch. Join us again next week. <laughs>